1: Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Born in Vidalio, Georgia, Erica Blump began pursuing greatness from the start. During her time in high school, she played basketball and softball. Her hard work and dedication earned her two full athletic scholarships to Savannah State University for both basketball and volleyball, which allowed her to pursue her degrees in biology and chemistry. Formerly a counselor in Georgia, she relocated to Houston, Texas to begin expanding her reach. It was in Texas that Erica received her vision For her holistic wine company which she entitled Blunt Wine Therapy. Much like the creator, this unique wine is Georgia-born and Texas-made and using local agricultural products, she creates artisan wines and honey-based meads that offer health benefits to enhance the social and emotional experience of each consumer and create safe spaces for healing and therapeutic conversations. Her honey wines are produced by an international Italian award-winning winemaker. Together, they utilize localized honey to enhance health benefits and anti-aging properties. The wine increases the levels of probiotics and antioxidants with every glass. Blunt Wine Therapy was most recently been awarded Wine of Distinction for 2022 by the number one U.S. News-ranked Black Wine Club and Festival, Black Vines, in Oakland, California. Erica continues to serve as a mentor to children and young adults across the country. She's a certified grief counselor as well as a certified anger management specialist. She also has a consulting firm, Distinction Management Group, and has partnered with the Center for Innovation at Savannah State University. Erica, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown.
0: Well, I am here with Erica Blunt. Um, I mean, Erica, we share Phil Esteem, who, I mean, I love Phil because he reaches a long, wide breast of people, and he's always telling me about people, and I'm telling him about it. And he was like, oh, you have to talk to, to Erica. And um, so thank you for being a guest here today. Uh, I was looking at your bio and what you do. It is phenomenal. Uh, oh, thank you. Oh, yeah, and I also love that you know you are you go back and forth between Houston and Atlanta, which is you know, actually, I went through Houston, I haven't been that much in Houston, but I've been to Atlanta often, love Atlanta um, so you call yeah, I know you said you have you're like home is both, but which is where you spend the most time where you feel most invested, which community.
2: Great. And, um, you know, both communities are very strong about and adamant about you repping that, that community, so I'm not going to fall into that trap. This is what I
0: want. I hear you. I hear you.
2: Now, I just know I, what T-shirt and what hat to wear for what occasion, trust me. Uh,
0: <laughs> well, you but,
2: know, but I, go ahead, I'm listening.
0: No, no, go ahead.
2: No, but on my label, I even represent both. Um, On my label, I have, um, you know, Georgia made, uh, I'm sorry, Texas made, Georgia born. So I actually was born in Georgia, and I moved out to Texas for about seven or eight years. And, uh, And that's where the creation of my wine label and just, you know, the mental health cascading it, all that happened while out in Texas. So I definitely um I like to rep rep both cities and um both states as well. And so that's that's how that happens. But I am a school counselor in, in Georgia. So throughout the week that's where I spend my week. Um and then on the weekends it if not every other weekend, at least twice a month I'll go out and, and uh help out in the winery in Texas and Houston.
0: Wow. Now I read that you are from Vidalia, and uh, I know that name because I know there's a, there's something about the uh, onion that comes from there. That's com- that's completely correct, and that's so amazing. You
2: really know a lot. Um, I am a a Vidalia onion native, uh, so I did grow up around onion fields. Never had the opportunity to actually. Um, picked them myself, but uh, definitely have eaten my share and your share of onion. So that is one of the <laughs> things. I didn't even realize this is so funny, uh, Michelle. When I went out to, I studied at, um, in uh, Boston for a couple of summers, uh, and uh, when we did a tour out to Marcus Vineyard, they had a Vidalia onion stand out there, and I went, that could not possibly you know, because it's a really rural area in Georgia, South Georgia. So uh, that's when I realized the onion was definitely a national thing and not just a like a local thing. I had no idea people knew about the onions until then. Back in I think it was ninety nine, two thousand. So yes, I'm an onion girl.
0: Oh wow, that's great! And you yeah, know, I mean, I mean, that's the other thing that I like about it is like I also love about you is like they want to say that girls, you know, aren't good at science, don't know tech. And, like, and it's okay. Sometimes we can be athletic. You had two full athletic scholarships in basketball and volleyball, but you went on and studied, you know, biology and chemistry. Yeah, you know, right. is that something that you bring up when, when, you know, when you're out and about and, like, about – and you hear people talk about, well, girls, particularly they want to say black girls, you know, that we aren't good in STEM subjects. But here you are with that background.
2: Right. That's one of the things I really pride myself on first because I did play sports. Uh, ever since I was in sixth grade, I was a very advocate uh, athlete. And uh, one of the thing, and I didn't take education theory in middle school or high school. It was only until – I um, and that's a whole another level of conversation. It was a <laughs> professor. That was a professor that really uh, put his foot on my neck and said, "Hey, look, girl. You know those sports are good," but and he was my biology professor, Dr. Russell Hunter, um, at Savannah State. I actually graduated from an HBCU, which I prized myself as well mm-hmm. on. Um, and uh, he told me, "It's like those sports are good, but you you need education." And so. Uh, from that point on, and him just being very stern, because of course when you are athlete and you're one of the top athletes, you can kind of navigate and kind of snooze your way, snooze your way through different things and different loopholes, and that had hurt me up until then. Um, and he he put his foot on my neck and just said, "Look, no, this is this is what. If you're gonna do this, you're gonna have to take it serious." So I did. Actually, sports became my second. Um, you know, interest at that point, and I realized how important, you know, biology and the study of chemistry was at that point, and that was back in 90, 91. And so um, at, that po- at that point, point, at that point, and then getting into the career of education, I realized everybody would – the first thing they would see me because of my, you know, athletes have a certain walk and a certain oar. Uh, the first thing that they would see see me in education, they go, oh, you're a coach. And i go, yeah, I'm a coach, but I'm a scientist. First, mm-hmm. and that would just throw, especially <laughs> that was that would throw a lot of the teachers off. Like, but no, I said no. Like, coaching is good. I said, but I'm a science teacher, and so I, I realized then um, how important it was for me to really, you know, get out the under out from under the umbrella of just being a coach and an athlete. Like, I really wanted to show people that, you know, there there are women who are in the field. And that was way back, way before the STEM and all that became important. So yes, as I grew over. Over the years, this is 24 years for me in the field of education. I really, really um, got to just one fact. Uh, one of my kids, maybe three, three months ago, I was downtown Atlanta, coming out of a radio station 104.1, uh, interview with one of their. Uh, managers there, and it was midday, um, and I heard a girl say blunt, blunt, and I said, oh my goodness, who is this in the middle of the day <laughs> downtown? And it was one of my former students from uh, Norfolk, Virginia, uh, where I taught school there for maybe two, three years in a school system there, middle school. One of the worst kids probably that had come through that system at that time um, had latched on to me, and we were developing. Um, I was doing hands-on projects there, and she had built some stuff that was amazing. And they can only use stuff, household products out of their house. Well, these kids, most of them had come from um, from poverty-stricken or impoverished areas, like project areas, and they didn't have, they and their mind didn't have what that they needed to have to meet my expectations. So they were building elevators out of milk cartons and different things. You know, this is back in early 2000, and so. Um, and we got highlighted from Hampton uh, University, one of the engineering departments wanted us to come, my kids, to come in to develop projects. But just because these kids were taking nothing and making something out of it, just very creative. Um, but I said that to move um, fast, fast forward. Um, fast forward, forward. Uh, she, she saw me downtown and she said, Ms. Blunt, and I said, well, oh, my goodness. Anyway, this girl now is the, one of the directors and recruiters for Facebook. Uh. Making making six figures, well, well over six figures um, here in downtown Atlanta. So that that is what I like. That is what I live for. That is more than money to me, you know. To know, and she says she she said I talk about you all the time, and how you know that class and that one class got me here. And I so to me, you know that that's one of the things I prize myself on.
0: You know, it's, it's interesting because I was talking to someone else who's in education who has retired like a long time ago. And in fact, um, she's now like in her 80s. And I was saying, you know, looking back over it, and actually her path had started with sports and that had been like you had that moment where someone said you should go to that. But that's what she was saying, that now being that person and, you know, having been in Talk to kids and pointed them in the way and then to come across a student who has gone on and really, you know, that dream that you hope of, you never think that's going to happen, but here they were, and, and to know that you have that influence. And she and she was telling me, she said, that's worth more than any award or money or something to see that you've made a difference in that young person's life. Most definitely. That, Most definitely. That professor who told you, you know, hey, sports is good, but you need to, to buckle down and do this, have you seen, did you see him, like, after you finished school and you had started working, did you ever run into them again and have a conversation about what it meant to have a professor tell you, you know, point you in a different direction?
2: Oh, definitely. Uh, Russell Hunter, uh, one of the the famed uh, biology professors at Savannah State University. I saw him maybe four, three, four years after I graduated, and I'd already started into my career of education, and we laughed. Uh, He since, I think he retired maybe two or three years after that um yes he we laughed about because he actually reported to my parents i was driving my car all around different he was a very (laughs) into right and i was like dude do you remember getting me in trouble and we laughed about he just laughed and laughed so um i the the thing about him it was so funny um i was uh doing a tasting for savannah state maybe three four years ago for the president of savannah state when i first launched my company and uh doing covid and uh so his daughter ended up being on the tasting um on the virtual that we that I was doing and and of course I didn't know it she circled back around uh got my information and and we talked maybe two three times since then and I told her finally maybe 7 months ago cuz she's out in Houston now 7 months ago I was able to share with her how her dad had in because he's passed on uh, we how he had impacted me, and I and it just tore me up. And I said, you know what? I said that's what it's about, though. I said I want to feel like I was I was a female Russell Hunter for you know my kids. I have a lot of kids that have since gone on to medical school. They're engineers. They're they're working in in you know really really important areas in the medical field. And um, so the, and you know and that that was my lesson to me because most of my mentors have since gone on. I mean I was I've had some of the greatest mentors, um, renowned mentors, uh Coretta Scott King's cousin who was raised as her brother, uh Re- Reverend Randall T. Osborne. Um, just and they and when they would leave, of course, you know, there's that pain you would feel and just, oh my goodness, you know, who am I gonna go to next? And then I realized maybe two years ago that I am those people, that the baton is just Passed on, right? And so you have a choice whether or not you, you 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 stand in acceptance of that, and you pick it up and you run with it, or you shun away from it, and you go no, you know, and you take everything that they gave you back with you, you know. So I I mean that was the greatest, um, yeah, the greatest gift for me to share with his his daughter, and then to receive spiritually that okay, now you're the female version of that, you know, and you gotta mm. you gotta keep giving that back and not be selfish, which I feel like a lot of the people, um, a lot of the baby boomers uh, fall in that care- category there. I don't know if it's intimidation or, you know, just whatever. They, they're they not passing the baton back, and we have to. I mean, we have to take that time, and we have to spend that extra oomph to, uh, you know, to pass the baton. So, yeah, I've spoken with them um, after that. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, and, and how great, you know, I mean – Like you said, it's like passing that baton, also that reminder that here is someone and how great that a family member, you know, you've been able to do that. It sounds to me that, I mean, and and I get this and I've read it, like you talk about the importance of service. And even though you're an entrepreneur, which we're going to talk about, you're now a counselor. And I mean, what an example, not only for kids in general, but for black and brown kids to see and girls here's a woman i mean you excelled in sports you went on you have a degree in bio um, biology and chemistry then you went back you got your master's degree in integrated studies and one in educational administration and then you start a business which in some ways takes things to a different way because you're talking about a lot of things. Oh, if your business is not just like, oh, well, hey, we're doing life. But, I mean, what a great example to be. And, you know, you sometimes you don't have to be up on a pedestal. It's just how you walk through life. It sounds to me like you have been very intentional about keeping that link with young people.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, and that, that's that came, I, I want to say, a generational thing. My grandmother, um, who passed away at 103, raised wow. her kids and her kids' kids, and then mm-hmm. not a, her her siblings' kids, you know, and just neighborhood kids. My grandmother is in the <clears throat> in the Georgia archives as being the first black to integrate um, schools down in South Georgia. She they, she went to fight to get the first school bus for the kids who lived in the rural areas to to go to school in the and she had me laughing once. I used to spend a lot of time with her on the porch and she said, Eric, I just wanna let you know, um, I couldn't even drive that bus when she didn't use those nice words. She said, I couldn't even drive that bus when they gave it to me. She said, But I drove it home anyway and they gave her, mm-hmm. you know, gave it a school bus and she taught my uncle how, how to drive it. So, you know, just hearing those stories and, and my father was a school teacher of fifteen years and he taught special ed, special ed of special needs kids, and I would see him. You know, first I would, had an opportunity. They had a they had a nursery at his school, so I I was able to – he would let me ride and work with him because we were very, very close, and um, uh, he would let me ride and work with him in the mornings, and he would put me in the nursery, and by noon they had dropped me back off to his class because I would – I, I would just mess with him until they would allow for me to go to his classroom. And so I would sit in the classroom and just watch the impact that he had on the black and brown kids. At that point, it was all black kids um, back in that day, um, and and I and all of them played football. So of course, he was a football coach after school. And so I was like, man, he is really poured into. And then on the weekends, he would ask for the school bus. So that he could go pick the kids up to bring them back out to the farm where we lived, because I grew up on the, in a in a farm on a farm, and he would go get the kids and it was a 45 minute drive and go pick them up and then bring them on the farm so that the boys could play and just have that freedom of you know space and time and um, so he was very intentional as well. So yeah, I kind of grew up and then now he has a boys' home that. It's about forty. He and my mom and my aunt opened a boys' home, and about it's about forty-two years old. And he's still seventy-five, still running that a renowned boys' program. And so, yeah, I I honestly, Michelle didn't have a choice. That's what I tell people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I didn't have a choice, and. You know, the thing is, uh, one of the things I've uh, read in the biblical scriptures, one of my favorite, is the closest thing to to God is a child. So I knew if I always gave to children, regardless to all of the politics and education and all of the, um, you know, everything that comes with it, I always knew just to hold on to children and, and, and to give back and to be honest, fair, and transparent and to love them and to teach them God that I would always survive it. So that's what has kept me. Um, in, in being very successful um, in that arena, as well as I tell people, it doesn't always come back monetarily, but he mm-hmm. blesses, he blesses far beyond the level of imagination when you take care of his children.
0: Mm-hmm. I and mean, you know, like you said, like, and it wasn't. It was just like those were the examples that you saw, and and I la- asking me, um some. And I, I think that the other thing that I like is, like, you're a mom. I'm a mom. I have a son. You have a son. And how you, it's like the things that you see, and sometimes you don't think it, and you're going about doing it. And then, you know, I have had my son, I go, like, oh, and he said, he said, no, mom, but I, I saw you doing it, and I saw grandma doing it. And, then, and, you know, he said, so this was just sort of the way that it was. Your son. Yes. I mean, is he following in the footsteps? And what do you think? He would say, "Yeah, His, he's very, uh, he's he's
2: very he's very private." So I'm gonna be careful how I step into this one, but I'm gonna mm-hmm. step because <laughs> mm-hmm. he's, well, uh, I,
0: he is he is
2: such my little twin. Um, he growing up uh, raising him as a single parent, course was a challenge, even though we had my dad around, mm-hmm. um, to give him that male. Uh, influence and in, in the of course in part uh you know Christianity and the Bible and, and praying and all that good stuff. Uh one of the things that um just to let you know, he's twenty he's twenty-eight uh and twenty nine this year in March. He has he since a US Air Force pilot. Um and what he did, he took a different route, but he's still doing uh his first three years and the u uh, s air force he it was never a month that would not pass by. I mean when I tell you, I have a wall of just all kind of accolades, awards or whatever for mental health and and um and he doesn't look at it, but i definitely like you said, I do I know that it signifies he was paying attention and he's watching mm-hmm. uh he saved so many. Uh, not even just black and brown young kids that have entered um, in the military, but he actually uh, developed a program uh, and is, we're still working actively to help with mental health with kids that are coming into the Air Force. Um, and so, yes, he's, and he worked as a, um, he worked, I can't tell say that part, but he's been very instrumental in saving. He's gotten a blue ribbon, which they didn't even have, but prior to him um, saving lives and stuff like that. So he's, yes, he's, He's working in his own capacity to continue the legacy of, of blessing people through mental health.
0: That is that is wonderful. I mean, because really, it's like sometimes, and you know, you don't try to push him one way or the other, but when you recognize and you see something like you know, he knows what family tree he came from, and he and he's doing it, and that that is just like, you know, to have other kids, but also you, hey, you've got your own, you know, um, so. You talk about, you know, mental health and you know, I know that you're a counselor and everything. So when you started the blunt wine therapy, did do you ever have questions from people like, What you talking about? Wine therapy? And I can hear the jokes. I mean, I know you heard the jokes, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, but I I what I liked about it is like you not only do you talk about mental health, but you talk about honey and honey has a long history of feeling a healing element. How did you – what was your introduction to that, and what made you think of this combination? Okay, great. So the uh, because of my
2: studies, of course, biology and just always wanting my initial um, – my initial plan was to go to medical school, um, so I've always studied medicine and, you know, healing elements like you just said. But, but what it um, at that particular time, I was out in Houston and my aunt was passing away from uh, had been diagnosed with colon cancer in mm-hmm. in Georgia. And so with me, um, she was like my bonus mom because I had my mom of course, but. My aunt was my, that was my additional mom, and she was her, my mom's baby sister. So when my mom was, you know, it was four girls, so my mom had her hands full as well as trying to help my dad um, with, you know, the entrepreneurship could open up a, a youth program. My my aunt sometimes would step in and add the extra arm. Um, and so with that, um, I saw, I was like, oh, my goodness, my mom's going to lose her only uh, living sister as well as, hey, this is my mom, you know, gotcha. And so, of course, mm-hmm. you start bargaining. Which is part of the grief and all that other stuff. I start bargain, uh, bargaining, bargaining uh, with God, like, "Hey, man, I'm I'm gonna make sure I do this, do that, or whatever." And then I started wearing my my science hat, which was, "There's no way I went to, you know, got all of this knowledge and I can't save my aunt." So of course, I started researching different alternative medicines, alternative programs, uh, talked to some of some of the top doctors, cancer doctors in the uh, institutional Uh, arena and just i mean just anything so i went for the cbd first and then cbd i was paying over two three hundred dollars overseas to get it shipped and then i was like i can't afford to keep doing this as well as flying back from houston to atlanta i mean to georgia every weekend and i was like this is Mm -hmm. killing my pockets and so i started um of course outside of just praying and meditating and manifesting and all that good stuff i started um looking for other alternatives so uh, MD Anderson Cancer Institute, which I was privileged privileged to um for my partner being able to walk the corridors of that, I saw that they had the elderberry corridor and I was like, Elderberry, and I started researching that. And then I had the guy who actually introduced me to my wine partner, uh, take me out to the winery to just get me away and get a break and elderberry was in the wine that he was that he had made. Um and so I was like, Man, this is this is this the elderberry anyway? He's like, Yeah. And then once he, which is uh, I think you already are, are privy to how I got started. Uh, once he was, a, he gave me the opportunity to start my label. Um, I actually said, why don't we try? Because we would just test. I mean, different things and taste different things. And I said, what about the honey and elderberry and you know this and that and other. And he's like, yeah. So we tasted it, and he was able to, along with um, one of his partners, balance the taste uh, so that you couldn't taste the pungency of the elderberry. And um, and then I said, "Hey, look, I want this to be my first wine in honor of, you know, my not just my aunt, but um, you know, in in honor of mental health because I said I'm I, I realized that I was depressed. I realized that I was homesick. I realized I had a lot of emotions that I hadn't filtered through at that point. Um, you know, we're going through this was our first family's long term illness. I'd never we never had cancer in our family mm-hmm. or diagnosis. It was just it was a whirlwind as well as me trying to do, you know, I was a mental health counselor throughout the week at an alternative school with some of the worst kids in Houston. And I just had a lot going on. So I said, let me, when I, when he gave me the opportunity, he said, you want to try to, uh, you know, you could have your own label. And I was like, are you serious? He was like, yeah. So I just pushed that out as my first, as my first wine, And it, and it worked. I mean, I had people, um, I mean, going crazy over it. And then, um, you know, I heard through two or three people they were using it as a wine, uh, as a cap at night, and they blunt. Mm-hmm. I drink that, I go right off to sleep, and I'm like, what? So I had people buying it by the cases just for medicinal, medicinal purposes, pur- uh, purposes and what have you. So yeah, it's that, it, That's when I knew I had
0: something big,
2: um, and that's what launched me into the into the career.
0: You know, I mean, and and going from what you were doing into, you know, your own label and and learning? I mean, I know there's a lot to learn about it, and you were talking earlier about how sometimes you're there working at the vineyard. uh, I know that it could help a lot, but did you have a moment where you're going, like, what am I getting myself into? Or I don't really know anything about this. And how important was it that you, it seems that you had mentors who encouraged you and to, you know, try these things.
2: Right, and, and one of my –
0: the
2: first thing I tell people, because I do go off and speak at different places, you know, for entrepreneurship um, programs, as well as I'm the uh, business manager for Savannah State University, the school that I graduated from. I'm actually one of their uh, business managers for their entrepreneurship center that we launched. Um, six months after I did the tasting, the business manager launched it there, and she asked me to um, come in and play a role. Uh, One of the things I'm very transparent with people about is, yeah, I had no clue. Of course, I've I've always known about money, been very astute with financial investment, different programs that were being launched down um, as far as finance programs and Whatever from from the um, from the the from a national level, uh, but I've never I never read really, I knew that wine, alcohol, and spirits were always you know one of those things that you could invest in and, and sustain, but I didn't have a background in it. Um, I only knew about Jay Z getting into it and different other artists. And I was like, okay, let me. It was so crazy, just the timing of it all. It's like right before COVID, and I was like, okay, if
0: this guy mm-hmm. giving
2: me an. Yeah, I was like, this guy give me an opportunity. My grandmother always told me that you never turn down thing. When people give you an opportunity, even when you don't know, you pray for the skill set, right? You,
1: uh-huh. you pray
2: and God will give you the knowledge. And so um, I knew that it was a huge thing. I knew once I read the formulas to him on the wall that I could get it. He said, how do you know how to read? And I told him my background. So I was like, well, I guess this has to half the battle. Uh-huh. He told me, he said, he, he's a physicist um, by trade. Um, uh, and a whole other whole uh, level of skill set that he has. But he said, "Eric, if you know that part, he said, this is easy. That's the hard part. And I said, oh, well, that's the easy part for me. I said, chemistry, is my that's my love. And so um, I guess with him, like you said, being my mentor and nudging me, and then we – this dude is like a um, – he's an Italian. He's a, he, at this point 79. I started with him when he was at the um, seventy five seventy five. Um, years of age, he told me uh, we re- kind of established a rapport before even me starting and he said, um, I got your back. And I didn't mm. even understand what, you know, because of course I'm still cloudy and I'm just on a hustle trying to get money so I could get home. And this he has really just been an angel for me. I mean, oftentimes when I didn't have the money to even get my product or whatever, he would just give me. Just give me, give me. And I and so I know that my story and my journey um with being successful in the wine industry is totally different from most people because who gets to do that, you know? So I knew it was God. And so God is just kind of – God has orchestrated everybody that I needed to be there at whatever time period, even from the distribution level, from – um you know me learning different things, and I'm still learning. It's definitely a learning curve that he saved me from having to go through because he's been in the industry for so many years. Because he started making wine at the age of five from his grandfather. Wow. So that that part of it has been a savior. But he did never he never did a commercial line. He never distributed. So I had to learn that independent of him. Uh, with, a, with a lot of bumps and bruises, and I'm still, because it's so political and where black brown faces are not just easily accepted like people think that we are. Um, so, you know, going through that part, uh, my other mentors have prepared me for, because they were civil rights activists, and so they taught me how to fight. So I used the pairing of a lot of my mentors um, and just watching, like I said, my grandmother fight her fight in South Georgia, and my my dad fight his fight with opening up, a, you know, a renowned voice. So I've taken all of those different um, components and and sharpened those, and just it's, it's helped me navigate. And I, I want to say to young people, the most powerful thing my grandmother taught me is to to listen. Like because I listened and because I watched, a lot of the things that had I just not paid attention to or you know, uh didn't take the time to spend to watch different people fight or different people uh navigate through I mean that has been the difference. Um and definitely wisdom from learning God early, you know, and um the wisdom that comes through that and knowing how to pray for wisdom has been the plus with me in the wine industry. And um uh, being able to talk and and um make you know, communicate and ask questions most importantly. I never act like I know anything and I think that humbleness of saying, oh, I don't know, but I hey, can you take two, three minutes, or two or three days, or how can you teach me? I, I will humbly be smart enough to be stupid enough to shut up, and they, that that gets me into a lot of doors, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, because they don't, yeah. So I don't ever act like I act like I know more than what I know. So.
0: Yeah, I mean, like especially like yeah, you knew chemistry, but you went in this is someone who had been doing it, and you you listened and you learned often you know i think that that is i don't know what happened it seems like there was a generation where people got caught up doing stuff you know i mean right. you know they were busy making that money or whatever and now i know that here often you find people are learning about gardening and and products and natural things when i was reading about and you said elderberry wine, i can recall i had a auntie who I mean she passed at 94 but she would often talk about you know how how she would have this elderberry wine it would help her sleep she often talked about it like it was a medicine and it, exactly. it was like well, mm-hmm. you know so mm-hmm. there are things that are there that you know if you don't talk to people and you don't know like I'll tell you when you think of, when I think of wine I mean, there's other states. I never thought of Texas as a place, you know, that a wine will be part of the wine industry. You know, I know there's some places in New York and, of course, California. There's some place vine- uh, vineyards in Michigan. But, you know, I was surprised. And to to have that open-mindedness, like, like you said, sometimes a door opens where you're not expecting it. And to have the wisdom to go through and learn. And that humility, like you said, to like, you know, and even on things that I think I know a lot, sometimes it helps to be quiet and listen, and you'll learn
2: more. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely agree. I, I had so many, um, uh, when I first started, I mean, being told no, and I think I, I, I give homage to my parents and um, you know, my, my grandparents, They, I mean, we were taught that Noah was a motivator anyway. Thank goodness they taught us that because when I first started, I mean, like I said, I, I had no idea how to even – because my wine, my wine partner, he couldn't even teach me how to do a pitch because he never pitched before. He just, he just made wine and he had his own – you know, everybody would come or people would come who knew about him to the, his winery, so he didn't have to go out and sell. He didn't have to go out and land a distribution deal. So – I had to figure out what that would look like for me, and, of course, uh, beyond prayer, there was a, okay, Blunt, what do you have to use to get people interested? And the only thing at that time I had was my aunt going through her, her journey, you know, and so I used it. I said, hey, look, I'm being honest and transparent with you guys. I'm Selling this wine, yes, I'm a chemist and this, this, and that, or whatever, and I'm a school kid. T- and then that's when one night, God said, Use them all, cascade them. And so mm-hmm. I talked mm-hmm. about them, and that's how the name came about with Blunt Wine Therapy, um, you know, because it was therapy for me at the time. It was therapy for me to be able to talk about my aunt. It was therapy for me to be able to talk about what I was seeing in Houston with the kids and how the kids were being overlooked, the black and brown kids, and how, so I just, I mean, honestly, that's where the name, and I grew up in a therapeutic environment. So uh, the name came from there. The the connectivity with um, my bottles, all 37 of them are names that uh, talk about different uh, traumatic experiences that I've had or different friends of mine that I've helped through trauma. Um, and so those bottles were actually um, bottles that had my brokenness in them. So I, I basically was just – I was my own billboard. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's what made it easy for me. And so the pricing became a thing because I was like, I don't know what – why I not even drink wine. Like, how do I – put? and so I took what what we were – our production in and what the cost was, and then I thought about what I needed at the time to travel, and I thought about what I would need to continue to market because, of course, I'm a school counselor, and I had zero budget for marketing. So I did a, 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 a projected budget for the, for one year, and I came up with my price cost. And so with that, um, I had people, a, a lot of people around me, friends, different people, um, which I wouldn't say friends, uh, associates said, Blunt, $35 dollars
0: a bottle, you don't,
2: Blunt, there's no way. And when I sold those first three cases, God said, I'm not, you don't listen to, the, he said, you didn't get here by listening <laughs> to people don't say this message on there. He said, trust. And I believe so. When I went home to visit my aunt on one of her first first uh, two or three months, she was really, uh, right after she got gotten diagnosed, she had become bedridden. Ridden. And I whispered to her, and I said, I want you to taste this. So I gave her a couple of drops, and she said, ooh. Mm. And, and she said, I want you to keep this up. She said, and I want you to, and she could barely speak at that point. She said, don't let this go, and you keep pushing that wine, and she grabbed my hand. She said, you keep pushing that wine, and I went, "Wow, how does she even know? Like, what, no? And so I told God, if I didn't do anything else, even if I made $35 a month, I was not going to let my label go. So since then, of course, I've had to deal with the uh, politics. Coming to Georgia, um, being dropped, my label's been dropped um, from two distributing companies for the lack of sales, which I know that was a political push because I knew uh, I know I'm still selling, right, and I know I'm selling a lot. It's just the fact that it's supposed to be, um, you know, I I know it's not going to be easy, and and I tell people, but I, I I promised God and then I promised my aunt that I would not stop. So that has since turned into me, my consulting agency that I had way before the wine, because I'm meeting so many people and so many people are asking for help of how to my consulting agency now is making three times as much as my wine company because I'm helping people and um, using mm-hmm. that as a as a catapult, a catalyst for helping people.
0: Well you know I and you know and I hear that I mean and, and I'm gonna ask you about that too, but you know, often and I talk to many particularly black entrepreneurs, many women entrepreneurs And when you think about what it goes into pricing and doing it, often you'll have people and, you know, you would think that, you know, from our community where you would think that, you know, they'd be like, hey, girl, let me help you out. Who are like, oh, $33 for it. And, you know, and you're putting a lot into it. Each one of your wines tells a story. It has that. And, you know, you, you know, people who will go into the liquor store and pay a whole lot for something just because of a name. You know, oh, I want to know about that bottle of Cristal. You know, and, and you don't know anything about it, but here, yours has a message in doing that. And first of all, I'd glad you did it because we have to start to value and appreciate the worth of our or the things that we create and do, not only us but in our our business and it's like, you know, if they want a box wine, man, gone and came out and give them a box wine. But you know, this is like building wealth and then it's also building community wealth, but it's also you have this message like you said, from what you've learned, now you're going and you're teaching and consulting people so someone else can do that. Exactly.
2: Exactly. It's so many of us, Michelle. Um, one, let me say this first: thank you and and thank you for understanding because that is the, it's the broken message that we send to each other, you know. And 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 the fact is, like, not to toot, I am gonna brag. Just the wine is darn good. I mean, the wine is, <laughs> from what I hear. First of all, I don't drink wine, so when I tasted this wine, I said, if I can drink this, and I don't drink. I was like, everybody will buy it. That was my deciding factor for even launching the brand, because I wouldn't have dared, you know, even stepped out as far as I had, had it just been an average thing. The wine is darn good, and a lot of people cheat themselves because they don't want to pay the price to even try. But from what I hear from wine experts, and not only that, my wine um, manager is a four-time award-winning, international award-winning winemaker, uh, which is mm-hmm. I don't teach that a lot because, you know, that he's very private as well as myself and we're very humble people, but I was trained by the best, like, and so, um, you know, for me, I don't have to, you know what I mean? Like I already know, and I already know that whoever wants to to share that experience, they're going to share it. And so I, I feel like God actually protects the label by not letting it get into the wrong hands or me getting the wrong offer or the wrong deal. By not letting me get into the wrong circle, so I and I have had a lot of offers to do a lot of big things, but it seems like three four months down the road, I found out that wasn't the way that I was supposed to walk or that wasn't the right connection, or you know different people had their own uh motives for for offering me different things so i I really feel like uh the label is protected um and then and then, like I said, because of my story, I don't have to sell it it's like I, this is my truth, and I'm I'm healing still through hearing my story. So for me, it pays. It pays my bills, and it pays. It pays like the cost of what the you know the road that I've decided to walk. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. excited and, and still as happy as I was was day one. So yeah, that's where I that's where I get my my energy and my motive from. You know, because I'm gonna
0: tell you, uh, I I've been looking at it, You know, all my holiday events. I'm going to there because, you know what, Like I said, if you just want to drink something and get drunk, go buy you a box one. (laughs) You know, go buy you one of them boxes or who knows what and and have a good time. But, like, for me, there is something about that. And also knowing that you're helping someone in the community. You're using um, agricultural products that are, are from the local area, local needs, there's a benefit to it. You talk about, you know, there's health benefits and enhancing the social and emotional experience. I mean, I'm looking to do that, not just, a, you know. I uh, After a certain point in time, those getting drunk days and falling out and not knowing what I drank, you know, that, that's been gone. That ship has sailed. Exactly. It's like, a, it's like an experience. When you go at the school, uh, and I think that's great, too, that not only have you done it, you presented your product to them, and now they come back and says, hey, you need to be teaching this. You need to be doing it. When you're talking with new, young entrepreneurs, because there's some things that they're looking at, you know, that, you know, never would have crossed our mind. Some of these principles that you have are, are pretty historical. You know, they're going to work. But have you learned something from some of the students and the people who come who you counseled that maybe has helped you think something different about how you're going to to do business through particularly during a period of time when we had a pandemic where things were shut down and you had to think differently
2: oh yeah definitely and I've, I've hired since hired um, a couple of my former students uh, one one well, two kids I've had since they were in seventh grade, and I I have about eight kids that I've always just been in their lives wow. since seventh, eighth grade, and they're like thirties. They all have families or ministers, different things. So I, they're they're um and they're all in different, I guess, arenas, different careers. So <clears throat> and from time to time, if I need them um to for advice on that generational gap and and closing it, I'll call them. I'm very <laughs> humble. Like I said, I think. The most important my, thing my dad taught me is, he said, Erica, the most important answer that you will always need to use in a time of um, of confusion is, I don't know. He said, don't ever be afraid to say I don't know. And so that that stuck with me. So if I don't know something, yeah, I have kids that are around me that I trust, and, um, you know, they fill in those gaps. So, yes, during COVID, of course, I – Pre my wine, I didn't have a Facebook page. I didn't believe in Instagram. I, didn't, I, I mean, when I tell you I'm an introvert, I am a straight well, – not anymore. I've become more of an ambivert. Amb- but, um, yeah, I didn't – I didn't. you know, I am go to work and come home, you know, and I travel. I just kind of stayed in my – you know, always helping people, though, but then I help them and I get back in my house. And so this has kind of pushed me into a – the COVID pushed me into a, you know, be out front. I try to – Get a couple of my uh, friends who were professionals to run my label, and they would always say, "Blunt, I can't do that." I said, "You can't do what? Tell your story. Like you got to be the like you can't <laughs> hand this off to anybody, right?" And I was like, "No, no, no. I'll pay you. I've tried to pay people, and uh, and even as far as like even being uh, what do you call the thing the face for my wine. I've had radio hosts. I mean, some I mean some very popular radio hosts that." And I said, hey, you're pretty. Hey, do this for me. And it just never worked. And finally, <laughs> a, a young lady told me, she said, one of my former students, she said, Miss Blunt, don't you get it? And I said, What? Well, you got to be the face of it. Like, you got to be the face. You're going to have to get on the social media. You And so push that going through that threshold was the most important and most impactful thing, I think, uh, for me, uh, with this journey, I mean it really pushed me into having to come out of my shell. Um, even though I'm funny and I'm a comedian, I just I'm you know my immediate circle. That's just what it was. So now I'm more using my voice more than I ever had in my life um, in a different way. Uh, and so and it's winning, you know. And not only that um, that social media component, but it being able to uh, and I and I and I understand now. When you're aging and you feel like you're aging out, the most important, I have a mentor who's uh, 79 now and uh, Vietnam, three three Vietnam tours, um, just an extraordinary guy. But I go sit in his office and he, he worked up under the Bill Clinton administration as the vice president of uh, veteran affairs for so Bill Clinton, I go in his office and I'm so humbled that he just lets me walk in and out when I want to and he'll just give me mm-hmm. that seat at the table. He takes that time with me and – I tell him all the time. I said, how do you – I said, most guys are dead or passed on by now because serving three ter- um, terms of tour that being you're close to 80. This man is like sharp. Like, and still when I bring my mentees in with me to talk to him, he can still – relate. it's still relatable. They laugh and they don't want to leave. I said, and mm-hmm. it's Percy brother. So I said, Percy, you know the thing that I love about you? He said, well, I said that you still are relatable. Like you are still 80 or close to 80 but he can still impact 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, like whoever I bring in the office and meet him, he can still relate. And he's a happy man. So I pride mm-hmm. myself on being like that. I don't ever want to, and I still with my kids, like when I when they want to come or they want to take me to dinner, they don't want to leave. They go, Miss Blunt. I say, oh, no, 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 Blunt got to get in. You know, they still want to take me to different like, <laughs> outings
0: or whatever. And I'm like, I'm not going there, I'm
2: too old. And so uh but they have so much fun. So I wanna be that. I wanna be that joy for them and um just remembering that being real, they call it blunt. Being blunt is is it's a so it's a it's a scorecard, it's a winner. So um that's that's what I think during COVID um I had to learn. Like I had enough. Blunt just being blunt and being transparent well, is enough. And so that's been carrying me.
0: Wow. Wow. Uh, and it is. I mean, part of it is, is, is your story. And how powerful is that, especially like the one where you came back and your your auntie said, you know, keep making this line. Do that. You know, that what what more what better validation did you need than that, that, you know, she didn't say, and, and place it at this and become richer. No, she said, just keep doing that. And how important that is. And that you've been able to surround yourself with people, you know, not only that you are being a mentor too, but who have been that for you and you just, Mm -hmm. you stay open, you know, that openness is, is what's, what's really amazing and what's important. So you went, they asked you to come back to school and you told me that you've been doing a lot of consulting. How did, how did that transition come, and how do you feel about about doing that? That's a good question. Um, I've always
2: done it. I didn't realize that I was doing it. Um, I've, I've had uh, good. I've been blessed to have some really, really good long term friends and uh, friendships. And they, people would always say, Blunt, you always own your phone. I mean, I remember in my 20s having three phones at one time because when people, <laughs> because, you know, growing up and I saw my, my family blessing like everybody and then thought my dad and my uncles, like, even though they would have a whole bunch of kids, they still had time for other, to help build other people and other families, um, other people's families. I was like, you know, okay, I've had my fun. I've traveled. I, you know, I really had fun. I mean, and then I said, I ca- I got to quit being selfish. Now it's time to, you know, to serve and to be a servant and to pour back in the poor back end. So when I started, like I said, I had three phones at some point. Some points I was always just like, after work, I'm just going, going, going. And then finally, one of my smart friends told uh, <laughs> me, so said, Blunt, you do not know that you keep, because I, I write programs, I've written programs that have launched people. Millions of dollars. I've built a lot of millionaires, and I've built a lot of millionaire programs that I don't have my name on. And I didn't need all of that. I've always kind of been a, um, you know, stand in the back of the room, don't turn the light on me, but I'm gonna help you out. And then I realized I was like, man, I got to feed this boy. I was like, shoot, now. <laughs> I was like, and so one of my friends said, you already doing it like blunt? You got to start charging people. Like you giving out all of these ideas and which is the word was introduced to me, visionary. And that was back in mm-hmm. my uh, mid, you know, mid-2000s or whatever. Like, And I started watching all these organizational leadership, you know, I've always been a reader um, of, of money and, and investments. So I was like, man, I'm doing that already. Like I got to charge, you know, and I won't charge everybody. So having to balance, you know, how that, that pendulum of who do you charge, how you charge, or did you just mm-hmm. do this for service, I went through that whole thing for maybe five or six years, and I finally was like I was able to charge somebody. And when I did, and I realized what 15 minutes could pull me, I was like, this is a no-brainer. Like, I'm going to talk and make money. And so I started doing consulting maybe back in oh, maybe 2004, 2005. I started just going in places. People would call me and say, blunt. And I said, listen, man, my, my money, my time costs money. And that mm-hmm. was my slogan, my time cost, and I understood, started understanding the importance of time and that you can't buy that back and, you know, everybody, you know, they're not going to appreciate it. And that's when I started, really started uh, charging people and going in different companies. And, you know, sometimes I'll just sit at the table and listen to people, and they don't know um, how to uh, pair things. They don't know how to pair or synergize their relationships, and I'll sit there and just – it'll take me 15 minutes to do what it takes probably people three, four months to do uh, with my gift, and i just go, hey, this is it, and I'll lay it out on paper or I'll say, do you want it electronically, and I'll send it to them, and i just get paid for it. And so that grew into writing programs, of written programs for the different states, through the different educational programs. Um, I do music, arts, I do a lot of different things and help people – Um, And my my whole thing you asked earlier, you know, what do I tell kids? I tell kids it doesn't take money. right? it takes you finding out what that gift is that you can charge for. Um, And mine was, you know, the gift to think and the gift to be a visionary. So I help people take what they speak about and start it with no money and create money opportunities and monetize what their dreams are. And so, um, you know, which which is the seed of everything. So it does cost a lot of money uh, for people to pay me to sit and do do that. Or it takes no money if you want to partner with me. Because sometimes I'll throw myself into the partnership and uh, say, hey, look, I'll take 20, 20% of this and we'll keep rolling. And, and my thing with that is if you do 20% five times, that's 100%. So I teach people about residual incomes and different things and how to – um, you know, do what people you should do a long time ago with the Indians and the white man—they bought, they bothered. Bar- um, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So I just took the old system and I polished it up and made it look good on the internet. That's that's what I did, I've done.
0: You know what? I have also found like sometimes it helps them. Like I've had people come and say, "Oh, well, you can do that," and I just sort of like if I say, "And well, what do you have in your budget?" For that and it's like budget and it, you know it's like making helping them sort of think about what they're doing and prioritizing and maybe you know after they finish out the budget you know what they have might not be there or that might help them like we had i've done things like well what do you have in your budget and what it that when they saw what they didn't have it let them recognize that they were trying to carry the whole load and they should partner with people. And by partnering and building these collaborations, guess what their budget had for me, but also for some, their are reaching what they were able to do. So, I mean, I know a lot of people who say, well, you know, I couldn't go in and ask them for any money, but sometimes that's a good conversation to have.
2: Exactly. The best one.
0: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that is just like, it's just like so important. Now, do you see? Now, you know you. Now that you got me ready to go buy your wine, now you know you can't give that up. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't. You no, can't give up that.
2: Don't do that, especially. Uh, yeah, listen, listen. You you definitely have to do that since we we're, we're talking about it as long as we've been talking about it.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So you you have to do that. But I mean, it's so like so down the road. What do you see your focus being, and what would you like your your legacy to be? So that when someone talks about, you know, yeah, I know, you know, Erica Blunt, she did what? What? What long term do you want your legacy to be, and where do you see all your endeavors taking you towards that? Uh,
2: well that's that's a I'll I'll make it as short as possible. I, my plan is to do a a wine barn here in Georgia in a rural mm-hmm. area in Georgia. Um and it's going to have a, a totally different uh spin on it. It's going to have a mental mental health component of course um and and then that that is for two purposes one because I'm tired of um having to beg people to understand it the the wine and its label and all and so if i have my own i don't have to keep knocking on doors and then the other purpose and other side to that is to be able to offer the actual mental health services um you know at the, at the at a stationary place so people know where they're going um and then not only that they'll know you know why they're coming um because that's what the the wine bar will stand for um it's actually going to be a wine barn um, not a bar. Um, and, so, and so in that, um, I'm able to help other wine owners, black, brown, whatever, um, other ethnicities, to get into the state because it's very hard to do that. It's hard to navigate uh, getting into different states. You really, it's, it's a political beast, like, uh, to go against these larger brands. So I want it to be easy for people, like, with small wineries, uh, like I said, black and brown owners to just get into the state and to be able to live out their dreams. So, um, you know, that's that's twofold for me to do that. Um, also, in my footprint, just knowing that my footprint has been here and teaching people the importance of the footprint. I love one of my uh, favorite points are, you know, the footprints in the sand and just,
1: you know, mm-hmm. being able
2: to, you know, yeah, just being able to look back and say, hey, look, I served. Um, and knowing that you did the best, um, and your best, of course, you're not going to look like everybody else and just being you and serving um, and whatever that is. And if it's singing, if it's whatever that is that you do best, just serve, use it to serve. Um, and, and that's that's just it for me, being able to look back at the footprint and say, okay, you know, I've, I've served and I did my best at it and um, I didn't do it selfishly and I didn't do it um, being someone else. I, I've been myself in, in my walk. So that that's what I would love to leave and the legacy of Jesus Christ, and most importantly, in that I've, um, in every school, I know that um, I can reach back and, and, and look at in, in every situation, know that I've opened the doors to someone having a relationship with God. And if it wasn't a student, it was their parent, or, you know, uh, just people in general as I travel. Um, I've had so many um, um, miracle-type uh, incidents where I just was able to tell, talk to somebody about God and they call me later on or, you know, I could just see them walk away smiling. So, you um, mm-hmm. so know, that, that's my thing, the legacy, being able to not just leave that legacy for my son, but leave it for other people's children and, and their children. So mm-hmm.
0: Now, you know, part of what began this journey, and I know that a lot of what you do, you also do, some some grief counseling and i know you know many people will go like i mean i went through a period i i I would often tell people i had a 10 year span of of death and dying where i lost many of my elders and stuff and there's no silver bullet for grief and there's no timeline for grief but what lesson did you learn as you were going through this because grief in some ways got you going on this pathway. What lessons did you learn in helping deal with grief that you can share with others as a grief counselor?
2: And, and I think for me, it would just be that process. Like, I because I was getting trained as a grief counselor, of course, I've always counseled but my grief counseling process was happening as my aunt was passing out because of the school Mm -hmm. that I was working in. um, We were going through training. So it was so crazy how God orchestrated that whole thing. And so what I'd learned, you don't really know that you're going through those stages. Like, you know, I didn't know that I was actually trying to negotiate and bargain with God. I didn't know any of those things. So just to make I think it's powerful for people to read or have that therapy while they're going through. Uh, One of the things I tell people, because of how the brain works, um, you know, some people can take that instant death a lot easier, and then you know, the the, oh my mom got in a car wreck, and they didn't get to say goodbye. Mm They can take it better than the people that go through. Oh, I had three months to you know kind of say goodbye, whatever. So it just depends upon you know, it's not packaged. It just depends upon the person's heart, the person's soul, their makeup, their thread is what I call it. And so what's helpful, I think, for both situations is that you don't, if it's a long-term death, don't wait until the person dies to seek therapy. And then if it's a short-term death, don't wait until you get all the finances. and to all, Go as soon as you can to talk to someone, even if it's just for the first three months afterwards, or for, you know, whatever, I still check in. As a as a therapist, um, I still I still check in with my – I have therapy appointments um, biweekly, and sometimes I will just pick up and say, hey, uh, don't need to see you today. Hope all is well. And I just let her bill, you know what I mean, <laughs> because it goes to my insurance. But I, I tell – and it's just not with grief that I do. I do a lot of different, uh, you know, a lot of genres of, of, of counseling, but with them all, I do believe in the mental health process. I do believe the importance of therapy, um, and it doesn't matter how how on the, on the spectrum or, or the tier you are as far as your profession, and I don't care how low it is, I think that everybody should, outside of prayer and your religious beliefs, have that component because it gives that outlet to, to you know, to release. Um, and so that's one of the things is the therapeutic component and knowing that you, regardless how um how spiritual or how how um, tough you are you do still go through those stages that's one of the things and then secondly uh, one of the things that I saw from my aunt's standpoint and what she gave me when I went to her about the wine she was not selfishly dying she didn't say oh yeah she was still pushing me like and I mm-hmm. that's one of the things you know if I if I could ever tell anybody, if I have to go like that, it's not going to be, it's going to be that I, I'm still sowing seeds. You know, it's not going to be about me. I mean, she was one of the most unselfish, angelic people that I think that my family probably will have, you know, or have, have had in our family. And just seeing her unselfishly um, still leave, um, I just want to be that person. I don't want to take from people. Um, I just want to continue to give back even through that process. So um, those would be the things, but yeah, the grief thing. Uh, you know, me being uh, exposed to it a lot, and even definitely on my job, seeing kids as early as uh, ninth grade, seventh grade lose a parent for different reasons. Or I, I even three weeks ago, one of the students at my school, her, she watched her mama get shot to death. You know, and just, you know, she's back up at school, and you know, within days. You know, doing a workbook, okay, and I'm like, how do you, like, how, you know, and me being able to ask those questions from a child's lens, you know, and see, uh, it's just within, like, how are you going to deal with it? What are you going to use to motivate you and drive you to that next, whatever that next is, um, you know, in a healthy way? Uh, so it's not a, a, I guess, you know, a box cutter type thing, or, you know, it can't, you can't box it all and and say this is the way to do that, but just to understand, and even with her and that student, I take her through the steps and say, hey, look, and she'll finally, like, one day she'll come and she'll have that moment, and I say, hey, it's one of those steps, and we can talk through it. Just having that vocabulary to use and that emotional intelligence helps you to move throughout that process and those stages.
0: And, you know, and, and you can see, too, like, what a powerful gift that was that your aunt gave you. But I know, like you said, as you, each plateau you reach in your business, I know there's a moment where you can feel her smiling or something like, hey, okay, now nah, don't, don't slow down. And <laughs> that, to be able to, to, to taste, identify with someone that, you know, those angels, that spirit is there and that, yes, you'll get through it. And like you said, you still sometimes have to go and, and, and talk it out. But if sometimes at that moment, you know, like, you think that you can't go through it or it's all over or that it's, it it won't come back. But, you know, you, you talk about a process of, like, dealing with it, going through it, how it's going to be better and different but better. But also I know that there's a lot that, you know, the whole family tree of ancestors that you have. I mean, they're all smiling down on you, and you're doing that work. You're continuing your family's work. And I, I think it's important, some, particularly when we have now some kids, I mean, I think I was like late teens or something before someone actually died. You know, if you had to deal with it. Now you have kids like very young dealing with, you know, I can't even imagine seeing your mother oh. shot down and then going back to school. So that that continuity and, and that being, that support that you're getting from others, even you just saying, hey, well, I want the days that you need to talk, I'm here. How important that is, is being a part of a community. You're bringing a lot to the community, that that support of being there for someone who's going through that, that, that support that if you have an ideal, that you, your dream, you can go after it, you know, that encouragement, and then also, you're talking future-wise. Have a place where other people, black people who are black, brown people who are in into inventors, and they can, they have a space where they don't have to reinvent the wheel, you know. And that's part of your heritage, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I you ever agree. look I... At... Mm-hmm. You're looking sorry. at me no. and go, I, "Hey, I am my mother's daughter."
2: I agree. I, I and I, I, I I'm glad you uh, made that segue for me because I don't talk about my mom as much. Um, because you know one of the things um, she did give to me is you know coming from her side of the family. Uh, she, my mom, is a valedictorian of her high school, and she chose to to follow my my father's mission and passion of helping kids. So she didn't finish college, but you're talking about extraordinary and just, I mean, one of the smartest financial uh, persons that I know. Um, and has even me watching her, you know, without having that formal degree in finance and business, being able to sustain uh, my dad's company for over 40-something, 40 40-plus 40 years uh, with no mm-hmm. formal degree. And people will say, well, Blunt, you need to um, – I've always – but just go back and get your master's in business. Man, I was raised by the greatest business people that are, you know, just having having that non, having a nonprofit back in 1983, a black institution of that level. And we don't have, we don't have, and I say we, because I was a part of their legacy. We don't have like uh, trailers or we don't have like uh, houses in the city. We have dorms. Like this is a big thing. So, and I and I'm mm-hmm. not just uh you know, toot my horn with that. I don't talk about that a lot, but I say that to say what you're saying. Um I had to I had to have big shoes. Um I didn't have a choice um but to wear the shoes that I'm wearing. And I and I chose to as my mom would say, when everything gets tight and I call and say, Look, you better you better tighten your shoestrings up and keep marching.
0: And so uh <laughs>
2: so I, you know, I didn't <laughs> I didn't have a choice uh, to, you know, back out of it. And so you know, one of the things that I love um, is that I was able to be smart enough to put all of the people, like my aunt who passed away, her name is Annie Rose. We called her Gooch for, you know, our little country terminology was Gooch, but we, her her real name was Annie Rose Jackson. I own my bottle of, of cranberry wine. It, it, it's uh, Annie. I call it Annie. So when I put that out on the table anywhere that I've been to do tastings, California, New York, wherever I've gone to do tastings, people draw. It's never, never a person or female or or a young or whatever come up to the table and they'll go in tears and they'll just look at the bottle and i go, would you like to taste that? Because I'm thinking, you know, the taste. They go, no, I just want to buy it. And I'll go, oh, okay. You don't want no, my mom's <laughs> name or my grandmother's name was Annie. And it's just and and they don't know what that does for me, you know what I mean i and I'll tell them if I have time, I'll go, you know she is the reason, like she is why I push to come up to New York probably with no money in my pocket you know, making money when I get to New York, you know, nobody understands that you know she she's the reason um, and so yeah, so it's it's been quite a journey and it's a it's been a spiritual one for me, but I tell people I don't I don't have to push my label, thank God. It's been um, it's already been ordained and orchestrated that I just I just I hold on to it, and God just He continues to open up doors. And Michelle, even for you, just how how this has happened, I, I'm wanting you to know that I'm humble because these are the things, this opportunity, and the one that Philip gave. I only, I still don't even know how Philip in Chicago found out about me, um, but just seeing who he's interviewed and just knowing what you've done and who you've um, catapulted and, and motivated. I want to tell you, thank you, sincerely, thank you. And this is how we, this is how we make it. And um, I really appreciate you.
0: Well, I want to thank you. I'm gonna tell you, Phil is, Phil is magical. I don't, you know, someone who is, like you said, who's looking at, and finds those threads and pulls us all together. He is magical. But and I have to tell you this, the aunt I, I told you about who was 94. Yeah. Her name was Annie. <laughs> Look at this. <laughs> See? That is, that you is know? So
2: Angelic. Look at that. She is still works. you know what? That's my check mark. That's my ha- Look, she's still working on my behalf and I'm not mad.
0: That's all right. That's all right. You know that is all right. <laughs> well, I'm gonna tell you, Erica, I mean this has been great talking with you. I hope that maybe in a few months, we can circle back, see where you're at, talk some more about what you're doing. Okay. Um, I'm gonna, like I said, I know a couple people who are getting bottles of your wine for Christmas,
2: <laughs> and, oh, good.
0: and and I look forward to to sipping on it myself and thinking about you.
2: Oh, thank you so much, Michelle. And anything we can do up in your area, with a two weeks notice, you let me know. We'll. We'll ship it up there, and I'll come up there. Or If you don't need me, I'll just ship it up there. But let us know. We we prize ourselves on, you know, making introductions and showing people, not just, you know, telling people, but showing people what God has done. So thank you so much. And anytime you need me, give me a call.
1: I want to thank my guest, Erica Blunt, the creator and founder of Blunt Wine Therapy, much like the creator herself, this unique wine is Georgia-born and Texas-made using local agricultural products. Erica creates artisan wines and honey-based meads that author health benefits. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change, right here on Collections by Michelle Brown.